every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Rosie on the house. It is our outdoor living hour. The first Saturday of each month, we have Arizona Farm Bureau spokeswoman Julie Murphy joining us, talking all things farm fresh in our great state of Arizona. Second Saturday of the month, we have ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower talking trees. Third Saturday, we have Master Gardener Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice. Fourth Saturday, we have Urban Farm with uh, Greg Peterson. So what happens on these fifth Saturday? Well, we thought today, since it was Halloween, we'd talk about a scary subject of water. And it's not so scary once you dive into it. And the point and our goal with this hour is for everyone to get a broad understanding of Arizona's water resources and how the state has set up and it works and manages the water supply that we have with a growing population, with agriculture. And to start off, we thought it would be appropriate uh, to bring in a spokesperson from SRP. And, you know, SRP has taken over the foundation that was laid by the Hohokam Indians, where they set up canals and irrigation systems off of the Salt River for their community thousands of years ago. And then when Henry Wickenburg discovered gold in Wickenburg and established his mine, he sent a gentleman by the name of Jack Swilling to Phoenix to reestablish irrigated farming to supply his mine. And that system that he ultimately took over was what originally was started by the Hohokam. And now today SRP manages both the Salt and Verde River shed. It's 8.3 million acres of watershed. To put that in perspective, that's 13,000 square miles, about 10% the size of the overall state. The important part is where those square miles are. If those were 13,000 square miles between, oh, say, Quartzsite, and Goldeneye, you wouldn't end up with a lot. But when you're dealing with the watershed coming off of Coconino and Tonto National Forest, and you've got these mountain runoffs, now we're talking some serious water supply. And we've got senior hydrologist Andrew Volkmer joining us from SRP just to to take it from there and give all of our listening uh, audience an education to SRP's water management role in Arizona and, and how you can thank them at the end of the day that every time you go to turn on that faucet, there's water there. Thanks for having me. How long have you been with Salt River Project? I've been at SRP for just over three years now. Where were you before SRP? What, what path led you there? It's a great question. So actually, I am not an Arizona native. I'm originally from Nebraska. I grew up on the Great Plains and uh, was in consulting for a little bit and then found my way to SRP. I really have a passion for water and managing water supplies and um, SRP does a great job at doing that and a job opened up and I thought it'd be a great fit and I've loved it ever since I've been here. And so anytime somebody comes to Arizona, that's often the first question is how long can the state survive until it runs out of water? Is Arizona at risk of running out of water? You know, that's something that we hear a lot about too and that's just not true. We've been managing our water supply, SRP has, since 1903 when we formed as a reclamation project. We've been doing that for, you know, over 100 100 years now and we plan on doing that well into the future. So drought is a way of life in the desert, but we've been trying to have decades of active conservation measures have really helped Arizona grow 
while we've been using the same or even less amount of water. So even though the state's population has doubled, more than doubled since 1980, uh, total water use has actually decreased. And uh, we're looking to use our, our renewable water supplies through the conjunctive use of surface water and groundwater uh, to keep providing uh, central Arizona water supplies well into the future. Let's talk about the two rivers that are y'all's primary responsibility, the Verde and the Salt. Uh, how are those rivers filled with water? What's the source? Is it natural springs? Is it snow runoff? Yeah, in the upper reaches of the uh, watersheds, the, the tributaries, for example, on the Verde, a lot of that is spring-fed, but the majority of our actual water in the rivers that fill up our reservoirs, and this is for the Verde and the Salt, comes in the form of um, rain and snow runoff in the uh, winter and early spring. So essentially, we get these large winter storms that come in and dump a lot of rain or snow. That water runs off into the, the upper tributaries like your Oak Creek, your Beaver Creek, and you get onto the salt side, you have White River and Black River. And that eventually makes its way into our reservoirs and we capture it and store it for um, many years of use. Uh, surprisingly, we don't get a, a lot of runoff in the summer during the monsoon season even though we get about the same amount of precipitation up on the watershed during that time of the year. But since it's warmer, there's more um, vapor losses to the atmosphere. Most of our runoff is, that, is actually occurs in the winter when it's cooler and we, and we don't have those losses. And along those two rivers, what are the reservoirs for storage and what's the total storage capacity? On the Verde River, we have um, Horseshoe Reservoir and Bartlett Reservoir. And then on the Salt side, we have Roosevelt, which is the biggest one. And then our three lower salt reservoirs, Saguaro, Apache, and Canyon Lakes. The total capacity for those is 2.3 million acre feet. Um, an acre foot is if you take about the size of a football field and you flood it with a foot of water. On average, an acre foot can um, provide two families of four for about a year. So that just puts into con context how much storage capacity we actually have in our reservoirs. And an interesting part that y'all have is, is with those dams, you've also got hydroelectricity at both of those. So it makes SRP both a, a water supplier and an electrical supplier. Many residents in the Phoenix metro area will have SRP as both their water and uh, electric utility provider. And yeah, to my knowledge, you're the only one in the state. Yeah, and that's a great point. We we do have hydropower primarily on our salt dams, and um, that's just a small portion of the uh, the hydropower or the power that's produced by SRP. But it's an important part. Um, we consider those renewable, and those also have pump back generation on on those where we can actually reverse the generators and pump during the times when we have lots of solar, for example, and less demand. And then when demand increases, we can reverse those and generate electricity for users. And it's a great renewable source of electricity. And something that I think it's important for everyone that lives in the state to understand is water's role in electric generation. Because even if you're not on hydroelectric, Andrew had mentioned that you know SRP also has you know, natural gas power generation stations. They own a portion of Palo Verde. And, and whether it's coal or nuclear, that's just your heating source. And what you're doing is you're steaming water. And the steam turns the turbines that creates the electricity. So regardless of your heat source, you're still using a massive amount of water to generate electricity. Does electric savings and energy efficiency use in our homes 
equal water savings? Well, yeah, definitely. Like you mentioned, if we're using less power, then we're, we don't have to produce as much power. So that does cause water savings. I also like to point out, like I was saying earlier, that we could potentially use some of that, that hydropower and the ability to pump back as a battery for solar um, and more renewable supplies in the future. Or solar um, is highest and demand is low, we can actually still use that electricity to in the pump system on the reservoirs as a battery. What, what about Tempe Town Lake? Is that That's the town's lake, even though it's still on your Salt River. Is that past yeah. your point of jurisdiction, so to say? We don't um, operate Tempe Town Lake at all. That's all operated by the city of Tempe. But it is on the Salt River, so when we for example, have spilling operations in the winter and the Salt River is flowing, those gates drop automatically and allow water just to pass over top of them. So it's pretty much just a pass-through system and doesn't have too much of an impact really on all at all on how we operate the other dams. That's really just a recreational tourist draw mm-hmm. for Tempe. Mm-hmm. Now, where does SRP's jurisdiction end? Because obviously, you know, water flows downhill and You've got Tempe Town Lake. That's on the salt. Our jurisdiction ends at our last dam, Granite Reef. But otherwise, we have our water service area, for the most part, bound by the the Arizona Canal on the north side and the South Canal on the south side. It's about 250,000 acres in Metro Phoenix. And anyone within our service area can be served with the water from our reservoirs. As we wrap up this segment, Andrew, you know, we just came off the hottest driest summer, I think on record in Arizona. What does that do to the forecast of Salt River Project's water systems? It's a great question. We did have one of the hottest, driest summers that we've ever experienced. However, most of our runoff is um, does come off in the winter. And luckily, the three of the past four winters have been wet. So our, our reservoirs are actually sitting in great shape. They're about 80% capacity, which is um, higher than what they were last year. And luckily, we always plan for severe droughts, and we'll continue to do that. So we're very conservative when we deliver water, and we make sure that we have enough carryover supply um, to last through these dry periods. So overall, even though the future may hold um, more extreme weather patterns like bigger floods and more severe droughts, SRP is always going to plan for the future to provide a resilient water supply. And there's a great resource called Water Use It Wisely that has has a saying that's very appropriate. It's it's water. We have enough to use, but not enough to waste. So it's, it's up to all of us to be responsible and be diligent in our water resource. Uh, so we've got it for years and years to come. Andrew Volkman, the senior hydrologist at SRP. Thanks for spending a little bit of your time this Saturday morning with us. No problem. I appreciate you having me. To sit out on this bank of sand and watch the river flow. We're going to continue our water topic here at Rosie on the House. This segment with the big man-made ditch across the state. Last segment we had SRP in talking about the management of the natural waterways. This next guest, he works with the man-made ditch, the single largest consumer of electricity in the state of Arizona, because apparently moving water is expensive as well. We've we've got Darren Frankham with Central Arizona Project Canal joining us. And Darren, you are the operations energy electric engineer mastermind wizard. <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, I, it's a pleasure to be with you, Romy. My name's uh, Darren, as you said, and uh, 
I'm the Director of Operations, Power and Engineering for Central Arizona Project, and uh, it's really good to be here with you today. And you guys are responsible for delivering 35% of our annual water supply to over 80% of the state. Yeah, so we, uh, you know, we, we bring water across our 336-mile canal system, uh, bring it into Maricopa, Pima, and Pinal counties. And as you said, our, our water is delivered to more than 80% of the state population. Um, we work really uh, closely with all of our water users on a yearly basis to get their deliveries, uh, their orders, and then uh, uh, throughout the year, uh, make their deliveries to them. It's amazing how many misconceptions I run into when talking about Central Arizona Project supply, just in the general public. I had somebody tell me once that that was all water we were shipping to California. I said, no, that's water that's being pumped out of the Colorado River to Arizona. California has their own canal system. In fact, they actually have two. One is right across from your pumping station in uh, Parker, Arizona, the Mark Wilmer pumping station that has six. Get this, folks, 66,000 horsepower engines that lift the water up out of the river. That's right. Uh, just as you said, so our water comes from uh, the Colorado River, and that first pumping plant really is an engineering marvel. It's the six, 66,000 horsepower pumps. It lifts the water about 800 feet uh, vertically, and then it goes through a seven-mile-long tunnel uh, through the side of, of the mountain. And so it was a really neat construction project to be able to build that, and that uh, starts the delivery of the water uh, into our three-county service area. And how much water are we allowed to pump out of the Colorado River? Because every single state has its own limits on, on what it can withdraw. So as part of the lower basin, Arizona is allocated 2.8 million feet acre feet every year. And Central Arizona Project has what we call, we refer to it as a sponge contract. So there's other users that are on the river that have a higher priority than us. And so we get what is remaining after they've placed and utilized their orders. And so on a yearly basis, we can estimate that ours is about 1.5 to 1.4 million acre feet uh, that we deliver into Arizona on a yearly basis. What always impresses me about the canal is it's always full and it's always moving. And I always think, where does that water go at the end? You know, I mean, what does it look like at the very end of the canal? So at the very end of the system, the canal converts itself into a pipeline. So it's a pressurized pipeline at the end. So we can, as customers need water, they serve it out of that. But as you said, it's a, it's a unique system in that... Uh, we're typically always moving water, pumping off of the Colorado River doesn't necessarily match our deliveries to our customers because in the middle of our system is the Lake Pleasant. And so that's Lake what Pleasant, I want to talk about. I don't think oh, great. enough people realize the reason Lake Pleasant is there is because of CAP. That's right. Way in the past, there was a, a small dam structure there that was called the Waddell Dam. As part of the CAP system, uh, a new Waddell Dam was built, and it was built downstream, and it's much larger. And that uh, facility is utilized by, by us to uh, move water when it's economical. So in the wintertime, when energy prices are low, we pump water from the Colorado River uh, in excess of the amount of water used by our customers. And so we fill the lake in the wintertime, energy prices are low. And then when the energy prices are high and our customer demand spike, which in the, is in the summertime, we're able to make uh, considerable releases from the lake, generate a small amount of electricity and deliver water cheaper price because we're maximizing that energy trade-off of pumping most of our water when it's 
cheap energy and delivering it during the more expensive time and generating water uh, out of the lake itself. And for anybody out there that's curious about the old Waddell Dam, it's still there. You can actually go scuba dive down to it. What's unique about that system with the the lake, it, it's, it's so brilliant in how you know, you're able to manage your energy costs and most of your deliveries are downstream from the Lake Pleasant anyway. I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the engineering room when they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to suck a bunch of water out of Colorado River, and that's how we're going to sustain the desert <laughs> in Phoenix yeah, and Phoenix and Tucson. There's so many features of the Central Arizona Project that I look back at and think, uh, those were a, a talented group of individuals who really designed it. I, I really uh, tip my hat to the Bureau of Reclamation and those engineers who were involved in the original design. Oh, and they're I pretty mean, smart. The amount of detail that they put in wildlife crossings across the canal, the flood protection. I don't know that most people in Scottsdale from the 101 down to Tempe realize without the CAP, you would be in a floodplain and that whole reach 11 is the protection against a 100-year flood. We just did a functional exercise uh, looking at a scenario of if, if we had water that was impounded behind uh, the Reach 11 dikes and if we had a flood scenario, how would we operate it? How would we move water out? And, and we tested our capabilities um, in a virtual world, but exactly how we'd route that water uh, to protect those homes. And then I'm just going to leave everybody with this final thought as it is Halloween in the Know Your Water newsletter that y'all publish weekly had a nice article about the creepy crawlies of the canal system. The, the highlight of the list, rock snot. And if you're looking for <laughs> Halloween character ideas, just go on, get a picture of that. And CAP's done your costume design work for you there. <laughs> So there's a very small picture of what CAP is to Arizona. And if you want to know more, you can go to knowyourwaternews.com, sign up for the weekly listing. And Darren, I understand there's uh, some classes coming up, a brand new concept y'all are launching. That's right. Uh, CAP has created uh, CAP University. And on that website that Romy talked about it, knowyourwaternews.com, you can uh, sign up for our, un our university course. It's a partial day course on November 18th. You can sign up. It's virtual and you can learn quite a bit about uh, CAP. As we like to joke, it's a deep dive into CAP, but virtually. So you're not getting in the water. That's knowyourwaternews.com. Darren Frankham, thanks for spending a little bit of your Saturday morning with us. Thank you, Romy. I appreciate the time. And welcome back to Rosie on the House on this beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. If you're just joining the program, this is the 8 o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour. And occasionally we get these fifth Saturdays in a month where we like to have special topics as it relates to our outdoor living. And if you've heard segment one, you heard us talking with SRP and segment two, CAP. But those are people that help manage, distribute, and deliver water. We've got an incredible resource right here in Arizona that I want to make sure all the listeners are aware of out of the University of Arizona, and it's the Water Resource Research Center. And we've got the Assistant Director, Susanna Eden, joining us this Saturday morning. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me and allowing me to talk about the Water Center, which is, as you say, is a great resource. We have a mission to support public engagement and policymaking and education in water 
we have um, been in existence for many years, but we have been a pretty well-kept secret until recently when we made a great effort to get out into the public and to engage the public, and we're going to continue to do that. And there's a lot of ways that y'all do engage the public. You've got the photo contest that I know you're still open for uh, receiving Send in your photos. We also have a weekly newsletter called The Weekly Wave, which goes out electronically by email subscription. And it contains news about water in Arizona and about what the Water Resources Research Center is doing and what's happening at the University of Arizona in water. Uh, It's a very useful quick way to catch up on what's happening in water. And there's a Uh, lot of third-party organizations. Uh, Watershed management comes to mind off the top of my head that often you'll find events that they're doing that'll be in the wave where you can go and be part of, you know, an event in your community around water. Absolutely. We have, we advertise events that our own events and other people's events, and we have announcements about conferences and publications and just it's just a very rich uh source of information about water i love y'all's water map i ordered one and we have it laminated and hung in the office (laughs) yeah we've updated that map several times over the years um and we always find something new and interesting to put on it so people have collections of several of our water maps you can buy that also online and one uh, and website, which is really easy, it's just wrrc.arizona.edu. WRRC, that stands for Water Resources Research Center.arizona.edu. And there's also the annual water conference. And this year it was virtual, as most conferences this year were. And one of the points, I can't remember who made it, but uh, there was, I, I believe it was a gentleman, he said, you know, University of Arizona, it should be the epicenter for water innovation. We are in the desert southwest. We've got this university. We've got the resource center. They're working to become known as you know a, a focal point in water innovation, water technology, water use, water management, best practice, and, and distribution. And that's really exciting to have right here in our own backyard. Yes. Uh, the University of Arizona has more than 300 people who do some sort of research related to water. And as a matter of fact, there have been a couple of uh, global rankings of universities um, in various subjects. And in water resources, Arizona has ranked right in the top. And as a matter of fact, in the last major ranking, the University of Arizona ranked number one. In, uh, in water resources. So we at the center try to be a connector, a focal point for uh, some of the work that's being done in the University of Arizona. And we try to get information about that work out generally to the public and to policymakers and decision makers, steering our water policy in the best direction. Is there any current policies going on right now that the listeners should know about? Well, yes. 
right at the moment there are negotiations going on um, about the Colorado River and <clears throat> excuse me and the Colorado River is a major source of water in central Arizona because of the as you've heard about the central Arizona project and there are projected shortages of water on the Colorado River coming up in the next few years and the states that rely on the water from that river have gotten together to try to figure out how to keep water in the river, how to divide the river in a, a fair way, or, and how to deal with the shortage. So there are already many, many rules in place about how to divide up the water of the river. But there still needs to be agreement on what to do in the future about potential shortages caused by climate change, caused by changes in water use uh, along the river, and the drought that we've been in for over 20 years now, and don't know how long that's going to go on. And a, re a recent case, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but the state of Utah was trying to build another siphon out of the river, out of Lake Powell, that would feed, uh, I believe it's St. George is the? Yes. St. George. And all, if I understand correctly, all of the other states unanimously voted that down to prevent that from happening. Many of the, the other states in, in general uh, are certain that putting another straw in the river is not a good idea given current conditions. So uh, I know that Utah has been trying to do that for many years. I know that, that it's not a popular idea in the other states. And just a little background for the listeners, their argument is every state has a certain amount of acre feet per water they're allowed to extract from the river. Utah argues they're not using all of theirs and that this is still titled to them. But we we won't go off onto the political side of things, but that's just an example of the things that happen in real time uh, as it relates to our water supply. And we're obviously one of the farthest south uh, users of the water that comes through the Colorado River system. And there's even a certain amount that all of our the states have agreed still has to flow into uh, Mexico. So it's it's between seven states of the southwest and Mexico that all rely on this huge watershed. There's Zoom meetings, essentially, where an expert in a particular topic comes and talks and answers questions uh, for a large percentage of the time that they're there. We also have, as you mentioned before, our annual conference. For the first time we did virtually this year, we like to be able to get together and shake hands and catch up but it went very well virtually and we did manage to expand our audience looking on the bright side we have been able to reach more people with water information through our virtual outlets and we're hoping that it continues to expand even when we get to shake hands again well you can go to wrrc.arizona.edu and they've got a number of different resources there. There's events. There's the weekly email newsletter, the, the weekly wave you can sign up for. 
you can sign up for the annual report that uh, is going to be coming out in January. What's the what's this year's report on? Well, um, it we put out each year a publication called Arroyo, which focuses each year on a different topic. It covers one topic in some depth, and it's written for the average person, someone who is interested in water, wants to learn about a specific topic. For example, this year, our topic was based on the fact that this is the 40th anniversary of our landmark 1980 Groundwater Management Act. And so we take the opportunity to focus on what we've done in the past to manage water, what our issues are now, and looking into the future, what can we do to ensure water sustainability for Arizona? This publication will be coming out, as you said, in January, and uh, it will be available for free uh, for download and get yourself signed up to get a copy. WRRC.Arizona.edu. We've been joined with the Assistant Director, Susanna Eden. Thank you for helping uh, educate Arizona homeowners about the service and resources that are available as it relates to water and water policy here in the great state of Arizona, right at the University of Arizona. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son, raising a daughter. They gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. Our final segment of water here in this water broadcast, we thought it'd be appropriate to bring in the industry that's responsible for the largest consumption of water in the state of Arizona, and that's our agricultural industry. It's a $23.3 billion industry to Arizona. It has been said that over 80% of the water that's been channeled and canaled through Colorado River and CAP and SRP, that over 80% of that goes to growing grass. And not just in Arizona, but just the, the Southwest. California is a big factor in that that number. Well, grass, maybe if, if you count alfalfa, which I believe it has to be in that. And it's important to understand why we grow alfalfa and the use and benefits of it. And we've got the Arizona Farm Bureau President, Steph Smallhouse, to join us on the line to talk about agriculture's use of water in Arizona. Steph, thanks for a few minutes with us this Saturday morning. Well, that's great. Thank you, Romy. I'm glad to be here and glad to Glad to wrap up this great water discussion with, with agriculture. You saved the best for last. You know, there's a unnamed former politician of Arizona going around telling everybody that, you know, our solution is to pay alfalfa farmers to grow 10% less, just abandon 10% of their crops. And that's not really an idea I'm all too keen about, but there's a something called the Alfalfa Project, which has a goal in saving $300 billion gallons of water annually by 2024. That's just three years away. Those kinds of ideas through innovation and changing in our watering techniques, that's something I can get behind. Yeah, I've, I've read a little bit about that project going on in California. And I guess let me start first by, by saying I always like to start talking about water and agriculture and, and, and two important points. And, 
And one is that, yes, it, we do use a lot of water in Arizona, and yes, it requires a considerable commitment of water to grow food, <laughs> whether that's indirectly through alfalfa or something like our vegetable crops. But And the other thing I'd like to point, I'd like to make right away, too, is that um, agriculture as an industry in Arizona was really instrumental in providing water security to the state overall. And the cities that now enjoy growth and economic growth um, is largely due to the infrastructure uh, beginnings from agriculture in terms of delivering water and also uh, securing water rights. So that being said, um, the alfalfa project in California, is it is exciting and it's always, you know, agriculture is always looking for ways to save water and, and improve their water use and conservation. And so it doesn't surprise me that they're doing that. Alfalfa is a significant part of the ag industry in Arizona, uh, mostly because uh, livestock is the largest sector of agriculture in the state of Arizona. And so it is true that we, we grow a considerable amount of acreage of alfalfa here, but that's a major source of food, obviously, for our dairy cattle. And we we grow a lot of uh, milk, I guess, so to speak, <laughs> in Arizona, as well as, as beef cattle. So um, Pinell County, dairy to Pinell County is sort of what the auto industry was to Wayne County in Detroit. It's it's pretty important. So alfalfa, yes, is, is very important. And the reason alfalfa is grown is because our climate is so perfect for it that you could get seven, six, seven cuttings a year off of just one field. So it oh, regenerates sure. growth much faster than anything else we could grow here in the state to feed our livestock. Absolutely. And in some places, it's more like eight or nine cuttings. And so it, it's really pretty spectacular compared to the rest of the country. We have a hot, dry climate, which also means that we have less pests that we have to manage for and deal with. And anytime you have to put less inputs on the field, that's better both economically and for and for the resource itself. But the other thing that people don't always understand about alfalfa is that it fixes nitrogen, which helps to manage the nitrogen levels in the soil, helps manage soil chemistry, and also water chemistry because it pulls that nitrogen out of the water. So a lot of farmers actually use alfalfa um, as a rotation crop as well. And I'd learned that's new to me. See, there's always something you can learn when you bring in the ag industry. And Steph, you also want to talk about groundwater management. Sure. Well, you know, it's been a topic of conversation back in uh, 1980s was the last time we really looked at groundwater management in, uh, in Arizona. And we've made significant changes to management of our groundwater, especially in central Arizona since that time. And we have a lot of folks nowadays that are looking at groundwater use in other areas of the state, um, other parts of rural Arizona. And so Arizona Farm Bureau, we are taking a very close look at, um, at management of groundwater in rural Arizona and the implications that might have for rural communities and for our farmers, obviously. And just uh, best management practices that we can use and our farmers can use to, to better manage that groundwater and just ensure that... Um, Agriculture remains a part of rural Arizona. It's a very important part of those economies and just the fabric of our state itself. Well, and it's important to the entire state if anybody wants to you know, go out and enjoy you know, three meals a day, as most of us do. A lot of that is grown and produced right here in the great state of Arizona. Again, a $23.3 billion industry uh, to the state of Arizona, and rightfully so, you know, something that big, it, it, it does create a lot of water. The You'd mentioned the livestock, not just growing, but but watering the livestock itself. You know, they those big animals drink a lot more than we do. But what's great about that is a lot of the best water-saving technologies also comes from the ag industry. 
Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think I was going to try to talk for 10 minutes without mentioning um, the pandemic, but <laughs> um, but it does bring to mind the importance of local agricultural production. And so, you know, Arizona has grown about 17 or 18 times. Um, its population, its economy has, its population has grown about eight times since the 1950s, but we're using less water than we were then. And so that's a credit to, you know, our state, our water uh, conservation. And given that agriculture uses most of that water, that means that the conservation measures we're putting in place definitely have an impact. And especially, you know, when you're looking at central Arizona, other parts of the state, conversion to more efficient water use systems is always a good thing, and it, it helps, um, you know, it helps both the farmer and then it helps the resources as well. And so that's something that farmers are fairly vigilant about, whether you're talking about groundwater, surface water, and no matter what part of the state that you're in. Well, whether you're new to the state or you're native, we hope that gives you a good bird's eye view of the water resources and how it all works together here in the great state of Arizona. We've had a lot of great experts and guests. If you missed any of it or you wanted to share some of that, with somebody that might need a little bit of a water education. You can get the podcast here shortly at rosyonthehouse.com.